This is Gridiron Graduates, a weekly podcast covering all things football. Episode number 50, Hi-Ho Silver, recorded October 12th, 2016. What's going on, guys and gals, football fans out there, Bill said to hit you guys back up. Welcome to the 50th episode of Gridiron Graduates. It's crazy to think we've already hit episode number 50 and Austin Matthews has just scored another goal (laughs) (laughs) for those uh, for those tuning in on a different day we're recording this Wednesday night and night happens to be the season opener in the NHL and at this point Austin Matthews already has four goals Uh, boy what a start but uh but yeah, also, as always, joining me and one of the current mayors right now of this great sports town of Cleveland <laughs> is Mr. Ian Wharton. Ian, your Indians, they pulled the sweep of the Red Sox, and now they've got home field of the ALCS. How are you feeling? Yeah, I am loving it. And um, the only thing is, is, you know, it took me to leave Ohio for them, for these teams to play this well. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here just shaking my head and just saying, how, how does that work? Like, the, when I can finally afford to go to, like, a game like this, which is just, you know, these massive games like the NBA Finals and um, ALDS, ALCS, hopefully the World Series, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm, 1200 miles away so <laughs> i'm just like come on now guys this is this isn't how this is supposed to work but and, you know i'm i'm absolutely pumped uh you know really speaking but you know it sounds kind of funny especially for folks listening to this probably nfl is really like my at heart third or fourth favorite sport um you know i grew up on grew up on the nfl but you know, when I was growing up, I was a Dolphins fan, obviously, um, in like Buffalo, New York area. And so I didn't get to see the Dolphins play much. I remember my first football memory, at least of the Dolphins, was Joe Marino's, not Joe Marino, Dan Marino's last game, um, against the, the Jacksonville Jaguars when Miami just got destroyed. So I didn't really remember too much. You know, the good Dolphins team, I'm not saying I didn't, you know, and don't really care about them, but, uh, you know, then I moved to Ohio when the Browns were coming back. Didn't really get into the Browns too much because they were so bad. Um, still watch them every week, but, you know, we didn't have direct TV back then. Like, stuff was different back then, so I didn't see the Dolphins every week. I saw them once in a while. Um, but I really grew up on basketball with, you know, Michael Jordan. I, I remember him. You know, at the tail end of his career, I remember, obviously, I grew up with LeBron and the Cavs being really good. So I, I grew up a Cavs fan. Um, and the Indians, the Indians were really good. And I used to watch every single Indians game um, over summer. I would take, like, the scorecards, um, played baseball throughout high school. Um, so baseball was really, like, the sport I loved to play. Um, you know, college football, obviously, Ohio State. So, you know, we were always pretty pretty darn good. So... It helps when your teams are good, too. And then, obviously, like I said, I didn't get to watch my NFL team every week. So, um, enjoyment speaking, I really enjoy baseball, especially playoff baseball. Um, and so, you know, relating back to the NFL, it, it's it's one of those things where I'm, I'm a little bit more numb to the NFL compared to those other sports. So, it's really cool to see, you know, Indians and Cavs. Being really relevant, hopefully, you know, it'd be really something special if the if the tribe can pull it off this year, um, especially to shake those demons too. Because 07, when we lost to the Red Sox, we were up three to one, end up losing, just kind of like the Warriors did, three one lead. In case you didn't hear, um, this summer. <laughs> um, oh, is that what all the talk was about? Yeah, yeah. And some people mentioned blowing a three-one lead. Or oh, something. okay. I, yeah, you know, might have heard about that. But yeah. uh, you know, the, the Indians actually did it first. And it was seven, and being on the tail end of that really sucked. It was really terrible. Um, I always thought that was the best Indians team I had seen 
um, since like the, the late nineties teams. It's funny. Like my first Indians memory actually was losing to the Marlins. Um, so, so my first sports memories weren't very enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping we can pull it off this year. I'm really kind of hoping for a, an Indians Cubs, uh, world series. I've said before, you know, I root for the teams that, that have like that misery. And so if the Indians were to lose in the world series, obviously I hope that they don't, but if they do, I would hope it is to the Cubs. So, um, you know, life's good, man. Life's good. I, I, I really didn't expect the Indians to make this big push. And obviously Friday, that big series starts. So, so things are really good for me. Yep. Estrada against Kluber. Game one. That could be a real good series. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I've said before, you know, I'd, I'd love to see a Cubs Indians World Series. You know, two long droughts. And no matter what, at this point, we're ending a long drought. I mean, the most recent of the five teams remaining, the most recent world title was 1993. So, just that fact alone is going to make the rest of this postseason pretty enjoyable to watch. You know, the fact you have the Blue Jays and the Indians left in the AL, and the Cubs, Nationals, and Dodgers left in the in the NL. So, should be, should be fun. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, let's check see if Austin Matthews scored another goal. <laughs> <laughs> it's really crazy to see someone in their first game, uh, you know, just come out with such dominance. I mean, we see it every once in a while in some of these other sports, but I mean, I don't know, uh, I don't know if we've ever seen this dominant of a. No. Uh, first I mean, that's, that's definitely incredible. So, so good for him. You know, I've seen some of the videos of his mom reacting to the to the scores it's really cool it's really cool like that's that's a big reason why you know sports are so great and uh and, you know we love them so much so um yeah definitely a cool story and hopefully he ends up being the, the prodigy that i think he's supposed to be funny thing is right now the as of recording the maple Leafs aren't even winning so <laughs> that's crazy yeah <laughs> It's uh, at the time of recording this right now. The score is actually four four. So yeah, it's good that he scored four goals, but uh, it's also not so good when you allow four goals. No, that's that's bad. That's bad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is not quality uh, defense. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, let's remember that there's a reason Toronto picked number one in the draft last year. I mean, yeah, they won the draft lottery, but that's also because they were the worst team last year. In any event, uh, I think we got some of the other sports out of the way. You know, obviously I had to get Ian to talk a little bit about his Indians because they're on obviously such a roll. But yeah, definitely some stuff in the NFL to talk about for sure. Uh, I think the first thing we'll kick things off with is we finally get the marriage that everyone's been waiting for. People wanted it to happen in Philadelphia. Now it'll happen in San Francisco. Colin Kaepernick will be running Chip Kelly's offense as Chip Kelly named Cap the starter. And today we find out that Kaepernick and the Niners agreed to a restructured contract, which basically... um, really cuts the contract by a lot. Um, it's really, it only comes down to, I believe, till through 2017 now. He gets a $14.5 million base salary, but it is not guaranteed, which means there's a very good chance that this will be his final season. Unless something miraculous happens, this will probably be his final season in San Francisco. But let's face it, Blaine Gabbert has been terrible. And the Niners are sitting at one and four. You might as well make the change. Yeah, you, you know, let Kaepernick, let let him run the offense. See what he has. Maybe something sparks. Worst case scenario is that they continue to crumble and they get a high pick and you know potentially draft a new quarterback high uh, in April. Yeah, and and you know for people that say that the NFL. You know, they always just play guys based off of who is the best or that there's no chance a bench player could be better. I'm not saying that Colin Kaepernick's going to go out there and be much better than Blaine Gabbert. I'm not sure if he will be. I don't know. I 
I would think that he would be just because Gabbert is clearly a backup quarterback in this league. Um, Kaepernick has had success, albeit in very strict circumstances. He needs an elite surrounding cast. He's a game manager. Um, that's not meant to be as negative as, as most people seem to take it. It is what, what it's meant to say is he can operate and be very functional in a limited role. And that's not sexy in today's NFL. And I understand that. Um, but for the right team, that could be valuable. That can be an upgrade. He also hasn't been that same player in the last couple of years. And part of that is the team around him has completely self-destructed. And so I'm really excited to see him, not necessarily because the Chip Kelly uh, connection. I know obviously everyone drools over that, and rightfully so. What we saw Chip Kelly do in college is not what he runs in the NFL, though. Um, so what my interest lies in now is I want to see, does he actually bring a spark to this offense? Uh, what can he do with Carlos Hyde? You would think that those two would be a pretty good rushing threat together, if nothing else. Carlos Hyde's played pretty well, considering he hasn't had a whole lot of help or really any help around him. So, you know, that's really, those are, those are my big question marks for him. Um... You know, as far as the contract is concerned, it's pretty clear he got the contract done and he's named starter basically back-to-back days. You know, what that shows us, and we already know this, essentially, but, you know, what it what it shows us is that the NFL is a business where the money has to make sense in addition to the talent. And, you know, that's fair. Honestly, I think that's fair. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, injury risk-wise, now they can play him and not really worry about if he gets hurt. You know, the injury guarantee is gone out of that contract. Um, I, I think that what you have to be worried about, I guess, the downside to this uh, if you if he goes in and plays well, he's certainly just going to walk. You know, there's no chance he's going to come back. Essentially, there's no incentive for him to come back to San Francisco as long as Trent Baalke is around. So, you know, as far as the team's perspective, they are certainly not hoping for that. They don't want. It's not that they want him to fail. I, I don't think that they want him to fail. However. If Trent Bulky is going to be around as GM, I just don't see him being, and I, when I'm saying him, I should say uh, Colin Kaepernick, I just don't see Colin Kaepernick being overly open to return because of what's transpired there. So, you know, just based off of that, I think Kaepernick is clear. His career is coming to an end in San Francisco. This is a shot for him to audition for another job elsewhere, and I think that he'll have suitors. Um, at least in a competition. Um, and, and you know, hey, it, it happens sometimes. And he hasn't been good the last couple years. He's got to bounce back and prove himself now. Um, but there's there's money to be made for him. He basically went from guaranteed to being out to, hey, you know what, maybe Trent Baalke is relieved of his duties. And maybe Chip Kelly says, hey, this is the guy I want to build around. We're going to take Miles Garrett in the top five, and then we'll just roll with Kaepernick for a year instead of forcing a pick on a quarterback. So, you know, there are options. I'm just interested in seeing now how it plays out, at least from the standpoint of on the field. Off the field, I think the writing is on the wall depending on the GM situation. So um, fascinating timing, how that got done. It seemed like both, both sides kind of had some leverage to get this deal done. Um, you know, to make the best of their future. So that's that to me was really interesting. We just don't really see restructurings. We certainly don't see voiding of money or years in contracts like this. But it's one of those situations where Kaepernick just, you know, he wants the best situation for himself long term, and he doesn't want to be held prisoner. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. This at least gives him an out now where if things start to go sour, he is able to jet 
after the season and, you know, start fresh somewhere else. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I like that option you brought up, though, with, uh, with Miles Garrett. I mean, they're able to grab him. All of a sudden, you're starting to build a scary front seven there in San Francisco if, you know, guys like Eric Armstead and uh, DeForest Buckner step up and continue to develop. You can have a real force there. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's all speculation at this point, but, you know, it's definitely a possibility because they're probably going to be drafting high enough that, uh, you know, Garrett's going to be there and they'll have to sit and think about it. And at that point, the question of Colin Kaepernick should be answered, you know, because by, by the time he gets to mid-April or late April, you pretty much are who you are as far as what the roster is like. Cause the big waves of free agency are are way past by that point. So, you know, at that point, we'll already know if Kaepernick's in place or not, and then you can kind of go from there and then kind of build your draft strategy. And again, at that point, who's going to be in control of the draft? Will Balky still be there? Will they let Chip Kelly call the shots? You know, these are some of the things that will be interesting to see play out as we move forward and get and get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I totally agree with you there. So we'll see what happens. Uh certainly not an easy first test or first game back for Kaepernick as the Niners take a cross cross country trip to the East Coast to take on the Bills who have suddenly gotten pretty hot over the last few weeks. Three wins in a row after an 0-2 start. So, uh, we'll see what happens with Kaepernick. Moving on, we'll talk about some other quarterbacks. Uh, potential quarterback controversy brewing down in Big D. Dak Prescott, of course, has led the Cowboys to a 4 and one start, but of course, Jerry Jones has come out and said that when healthy, Tony Romo will be the number one guy. Now, you know, he's, he's likely not going to play this week, and they do have their bye week coming up, but they've been targeting that week eight game against the Eagles as potentially Tony Romo's return. So I guess now we got to kind of discuss this little conversation here which way they should go and personally I think they're a little foolish if they go to Romo but I can understand why they would want to go to Romo because Jerry Jones isn't want to let isn't going to want to have a 120 million dollar contract or 120 million dollar quarterback sitting on the bench he's Jerry Jones guy so he's going to ride this out as long as he can. So I can understand why they want to throw Romo out there, but, I mean, it's really tough. It would be really tough for me to set Dak Prescott at this point. You know, because of the 4-1 and one start, you know, he, he have the strong offense around him. I, I don't know. It, it's a very unique. It's a pretty unique situation. I don't think we've seen anything like this, you know, since Tom Brady took over for uh, Drew Bledsoe. Now, obviously, Brady didn't really have to worry at that point because Bledsoe's injury was season-ending. But, you know, it's sort of in that same style, what we're seeing here in Dallas. Yeah, it's it's a really tough argument. Um, you know, Dak has played really well. And what both he and Carson Wentz have achieved in the first five weeks of their careers, um, you know, especially considering what they look like in college, we saw major flaws from both. Um, now, relative to the pack, I was high on Dak. Relative to the pack, I was a little bit not not one of the lowest people on Carson Wentz, but I was more, you know, uh, obviously I didn't have a first round grade on him uh, from what he was in college. Now. Looking at what he's doing now, obviously, you know he's a he's a much better player right now. Um, but so and so is Dak Prescott. You know, these are two guys that have really outworked and and outproduced from where they were drafted, and it's very impressive what they've done already. 
in the case of Prescott against Romo, you know, you look at Prescott, he's done really well behind an elite offensive line, had, you know, has the best running back in the NFL as far as production right now. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's leading the league in rushing. Um, Des Bryant's been hurt a couple weeks, and so he hasn't had Des Bryant out there consistent basis. But, you know, the, the receivers for the Dallas Cowboys have played well. Defense has played a little bit better than what we probably expected. Um, you look at the numbers, the numbers, you know, kind of back up. He's a, more of a conservative quarterback, high completion percentage, 69%, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, you know, the numbers look really nice. Uh, they show a guy who is really taking care of the football, taking advantage of, of opportunities running as well. Um, but my, you know, my concern when you're talking these two players is if you're looking at this season as how do we win the Super Bowl? Because this may, this is, to me, this is maybe a Super Bowl caliber team. How do we win the Super Bowl? Can you win the Super Bowl with Dak Prescott currently playing the way he's playing? I don't know that you can. It's nothing against Dak Prescott. He's a rookie. Um, but those aren't the numbers of a Super Bowl quarterback. And, and I don't think that, and obviously I've said this many times, it doesn't start and end with the quarterback position. But you do need a certain level of play from the quarterback position. Now, Tony Romo already won this job. He won the job in preseason before he got hurt. Um, you know, training camp, he was getting all the reps. He didn't look great when he came back last year, had seven interceptions in just four games, and so that's a concern. Your question is going to be, which Tony Romo is he? Can he come back within the first month he comes back and be not even necessarily all-time best Tony Romo, but can he be even really good Tony Romo, which would be, you know, 2013 Tony Romo or even maybe 2008 Tony Romo. Looking at those numbers, 2008, 61% completion percentage. It's going to be higher than that because their offense is less vertical than it was then. 3,500 yards, 26 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. It's a pretty good year. It's not a great year. It's a good year. 2013, 64% completion percentage, 3,800 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. A much better year overall, I think. That's, that's a stronger year. But, again, limiting interceptions, limiting turnovers, while also making the big plays. I think Romo has the upside to bring this team to a Super Bowl. And that's the difference between he and Dak. Is Dak, I don't think, has that upside yet. In time, he may. Could be in two years. But I think Romo has earned this the right to come back. This is a guy that has literally broken his back multiple times for this franchise. And he's we've seen what he can do. We know his upside. His upside is a top-five quarterback. It's nothing against Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's just simply a rookie that's played very well, but he hasn't been Tony Romo if Tony Romo can get back to the level that we know he can get to. So it's as simple as that for me. Um, now, he, if he comes back and struggles or if he comes back and practices and looks really poor, then it's a different conversation, possibly. I think that you give Romo every benefit of the doubt possible, to see if he can succeed. Um, and, you know, hey, maybe he comes back and you get to week 16 and he's played seven or eight games and he's just not playing well. And then maybe you say, you know what, Tony, I'm sorry, but we're going to go back to Dak, which is really hard and maybe even impossible to do. But I think you have to use the two months that you're going to have him before the playoffs start to make sure that you know what you can get out of Tony Romo, because otherwise I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you go into the playoffs with a rookie over a potentially elite quarterback, especially with the quarterback play being so up and down this season uh, throughout the league. So, you know, it, that's my take on it. I, I understand the other side of it, too. You know, I, I pose this question to folks on Twitter. Who would you start when he comes when Romo comes back? You know, it was about 50-50. I believe the last time I checked on that poll, you can find it on my timeline. 
um, should be ending as as of this night that we're recording. I think it'll be ending here in a couple hours. Um, and that last time I looked, it was about fifty-fifty. You know, I understand the other side of the argument that you don't want to endanger Tony Romo's health. Well, that's his choice. You know, that's his choice to come back and play. I hope he doesn't get hurt again. Chances are he may get hurt again just because he's he's had that luck to where he's had some bad injuries and, and sensitive parts of his body. Um, but, you know, the, the argument is that Dak has played well. This team is 4-1. and one. That's fine. I mean, I don't really like using team wins as an excuse to play somebody, continue playing somebody if there's a better option available or potentially better option available. Um, because if you, if you do that, you can get stuck with like a very average to subpar player at any position. It's not just quarterback. You could say that for running back, you say that for wide receiver, whatever, defensive end. I mean, it's just, it's going to happen more for QBs because people equate wins to QB wins, which I think is, you know, a little misguided. There's something there, but it's a little misguided. So, Ultimately, you know, Jerry Jones, like you said, Jerry Jones has already said Tony Romo is going to come back and be the starter when he's ready. So we know what's going to happen. But I think it is an interesting conversation, and it's going to be a, a hot debate if Romo comes back and struggles right away. There's no doubt about that. I can promise you that. It's going to be a debate as soon as he comes back and either throws an interception or looks rusty for a game or two. And the reality is that it has to be a season-long goal for them. It can't just be, we're playing Tony Romo for this game, and that's it, and we're going to make our judgment off of this game. It's going to be what's best for this team the rest of this season, and really probably next season, because next season they can't just get rid of him because he has a $20 million cap hit. 18 of it is going to be guaranteed to be on the cap no matter what. So even if they trade him or cut him, that money will stay on the cap as dead cap. They would only save about two million dollars off of his uh, off of his money, so that he's owed. So there's really no upside to uh, uh, to, to getting rid of him after this season. So you may at best open next year with a quarterback uh, competition, but reality is the guy making that much more money is probably going to play. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like I said, that, that's why I think they'll they'll stick with Romo. And uh, but yeah, I see your point too. You know, because with Dak, it has been a lot, a bit of dink and dunk. You know, hand the ball to Elliott, just let him run, and you know, not a lot of deep shots. Romo's probably going to take those deep shots. And I'm not saying Dak can't do that, but you know, he's young and he'll grow. But you know, I. I Definitely see your point that Romo probably gives them the better chance. You know, Dak's giving them this bit of a head start as far as, uh, you know, the season goes and going after the division title. Maybe Romo can finish the deal and actually win them the division. So, we shall see. So, with that, I think we'll, uh, Go ahead and look back at some of the some of the games from last week. Cause, oh, actually, before we do that, too, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, yeah, wanted to get Ian's thoughts on the Miami Dolphins because they were pretty busy this week after their loss to the Titans, which was pretty surprising to me. I didn't think they'd lose to Tennessee, uh, especially at home. But uh, they go ahead and they actually cut two of their starting offensive linemen and third. As, well, wasn't a starting lineman, but still third offensive lineman. Uh, Dallas Thomas cut. Jamil Douglas cut. And uh, Billy Turner, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. The three of them are gone. Uh, what were your thoughts when you saw that those guys got cut? What do you see the Dolphins doing going forward with the offensive line? Well, you know, I was I was a little bit surprised at these, you know, at least in terms of especially Billy Turner. 
and Jamil Douglas, you know, I, I think what we're seeing in the very early stages is a coach getting some power from Mike Tannenbaum, who's the GM. Uh, you know, I tweeted out, I think it was late Saturday, late Sunday that, you know, and I've been hearing this since before the season that there is a possibility that if things went wrong this year for the Dolphins, which I, I predicted they would be bad and it has been bad so far, that Mike Tannenbaum would be on the hot seat if not, you know, let go. Mike Tannenbaum has sold the owner, Stephen Ross, and everybody that this is a playoff caliber roster two years in a row. And yet they are the furthest thing from a, from a playoff worthy roster outside of Cleveland. So, you know, the offense is deeply flawed. It's just a bunch of mismatched talent. Um, they've been a disaster so far. So, you know, I don't think it's going to get any better soon. I think it's just, this is just a bad team. And so I think this was Gase, um, Adam Gase trying to make a, uh, a statement to his roster to say players that don't play well are going to be held responsible. But I think that's a little unfortunate because to me, this says it's my way or the highway. It shows rigid, too much rigid, rigidity. If that's even a word, <laughs> very rigid. There's not a lot of rigidness, um, to Adam Gase's style. And I don't like that because this is a guy that in two other places as offensive coordinator showed that he could adjust his scheme to the talent. That was what was so effective and so attractive about him as a candidate. So now that he's making these personnel moves, I understand the message. But two of these, three of these guys, the, all three of them were still on rookie contracts. Now, I, I don't think that Jamil Douglas was overly good to start. Adam was a fifth round pick the year that they took him. I didn't think Dallas Thomas was any good when he came out, had him as a sixth round pick when they took him in the third round. Billy Turner, I did really like. Came out as a left tackle. They immediately put him at left guard. Then they tried him at both tackle spots. Then they put him at right guard. And then last game, out of nowhere, they put him at left tackle. I think the franchise failed him. I think that they never put him at one position to master, and that really set back his development. So maybe he's just beyond repair at this point. We'll see. The Baltimore Ravens claimed him. I think that's a great spot for him. I'm interested to see what they can do with him. But, um, you know, I, I thought this was a, a, a – this is what happens when you change regimes is sometimes you lose talented players or young players, recently invested into players, for nothing. To do this now made no sense. Because you can't replace their talent. There's literally nothing they can do to, to go find a former third-round pick on the market who's under 26 years old. You know, that that's that's a commodity. Like, that's a positive. Even if he wasn't playing great, Billy Turner had value in the run game. You needed to work with him on pass pro. You needed to work with him on line calls. He struggled mentally a little bit when he got into the NFL. Maybe he was continuing to struggle. Maybe you needed to change the way that you were coaching and trying to get your message across. I don't 100% know, but what I do know is that this is, a, I think, a coaching failure. I think that you need to... Make it work with the talent that you have sometimes. And, you know, I do understand some players, you just can't make it work, but it's just, it was bizarre to me with the timing. Um, this team is, is going to be bad. It's going to be bad this year. It's going to be bad next year. I think it's going to be bad the year after that. They need to fully rebuild this roster around Dominic Sue, Rashad Jones, Laramie Tunsil. Those are the guys that you're keeping for sure. Everyone else is available in my eyes. Make an offer. And we're taking the highest offers. Um, now I think they'll keep Ryan Tannehill because Adam Gase is very fond of him. I think that is a positive. If there's anything, you know, out there about that I'll say about, um, uh, Ryan Tannehill and, and how Adam Gase you know, it's a positive for him. The early returns have been rough, but the offensive line has been as bad as we've ever seen 
in, in, in the NFL. I, I truly mean that. And it's not saying Alan, um, Ryan Tannehill's played well, because he hasn't. He has not played well this year. He has been worse than he has been since his rookie year. He's not reacting well to the pressure. He doesn't look confident. He doesn't look fully comfortable with the routes and the scheme. Um, he's not being as accurate as he has been in years past. And so his play has dipped as well. But, you know, the offensive line, I think, is where everything starts and ends with the offense. Even the Seattle Seahawks, who don't have a good offensive line, they at least do things well. They're a good run-blocking team, and they're an athletic unit, so they can get Russell Wilson on the move. There's positives that you can build an offense around, even if his unit is bad as a whole. The Dolphins can't say that. It's a hodgepodge of talent. They've been hurt up and down the entire line. And, you know, those are major issues. What's weird to me is that they cut these guys and not some of the other underperforming players. Right tackle Juwan James has been worse than Billy Turner. And yet they don't cut him. Byron Maxwell, they're not using at all like they should be using him. Like I opined in the offseason, he is strictly a cover three or cover four corner. He's a, a right cornerback only. Doesn't play slot, shouldn't play left corner. Only one side of the field. That's where he's had success. That's where the, the best he's been at. But they haven't done that. They've shadowed him on receivers. They've played him in the slot a little bit. That's, that's exactly what Philly did before Philly made the adjustment to move him to one side of the field. So it doesn't make sense to me. Um, the coaching has been bad on both sides of the field. The personnel decisions have been bad so far. So right now in Miami, it's a little bit of a mess. Good stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate too, you know. Um, and, and I was a I was a fan of Billy Turner as well, you know, coming out of college. Uh, I'd like to thank Sully for that. Sully definitely got me on the Billy Turner bandwagon because uh, he he was just a mauler at uh, North Dakota State. He was, a, he was a great player, a tremendous athlete, great guy, too. I actually interviewed him at the Senior Bowl nice. um, with Sully. I actually met Sully there. Oh, took his, nice. Took, took, took him, he and Billy's photo together, so it was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Billy's a great dude, and so I'm rooting for him. Um, but, yeah, man, like this, this move kind of caught me off guard. And as I, re- as I think back, as part of a little celebration of our 50 episodes... Um, I think this reminds me of when we had Jeff Risden on the show and some of the stories he talked about. At the, was it Jeff Risden or was it Pete Smith? It was one of those guys. He was talking about the Senior Bowl and the, um, you know, the craziness that, like, Sully, I think it was Sully and whoever did, and we were just laughing. Oh, it was a good time. That's why I keep saying I'd love to get to the Senior Bowl and meet everyone down there. But, yeah, so we're... Uh, I, I agree, you know, so, you know, Baltimore, good landing spot for him. Uh, Baltimore made a little bit of a surprise move as well, firing Mark Trestman as offensive coordinator and promoting Marty Mortenweg to that position. So, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how that change will affect the Ravens' offense. Obviously, they've slipped a little bit, lost two straight after a uh, three and off start, so we'll see. Uh, but looking back at last weekend, it was a uh, quite an interesting weekend of football. I think one of the things that caught my eye was Atlanta going into Denver and coming away with the 23-16 win uh, over the Broncos. Now, of course, Trevor Simeon didn't play; it was Paxton Lynch, but. You know, even still, a very impressive win for the Falcons. Early on, they're starting to look like the real deal, especially in that division where none of the other teams really look like they're going to be all that competitive. Uh, especially, you know, you're looking at the Panthers now sitting at 1-4 and four after losing to the Buccaneers in what seemed to be a pretty ugly Monday night game. Of course, they didn't have Cam Newton. Derek Anderson came in, and he did not play all that well. So, uh, yeah, big big win for the Falcons there. 
Uh, you know, and the Raiders. Raiders come out with a nice win as the Chargers blow it again. And you had talked last week how the Chargers season could pretty much be over if they lose to the Raiders. Well, sure enough, they did lose to the Raiders in thrilling fashion once again. So, but Joey Bosa, by all accounts, has a heck of a debut, which is impressive for a guy who, um, you know, a real nice turnaround, real nice quick turnaround for a guy who missed basically all of camp and, you know, had to come in, come into his own throughout the first couple of weeks of the season because he had missed so much time. But overall, things just looking bad once again for the Chargers. So, and overall, and, uh, an interesting week as always in the National Football League. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, you're looking at some of these teams and, and you know, you're saying, okay, like, who's going to be, you know, that team that, that really, at the beginning of the year, like, you're looking at it and you're saying, who are these teams that are going to surprise? Who are these teams that are going to disappoint? You know, Carolina, it, you know, we talked about it before, but, I mean, and, and obviously all the injuries, that and, and that Monday night game was so bad. So bad with all those injuries. Um, this was the team that we thought they were last year, and to see them crumbling, they've got no edge pressure coming. Their tackles are just looking terrible in pass protection. Cam is hurt. Um, receivers, obviously, when Cam is hurt, they're they're not going to be looking too great because in their own right, they're not great talents in their own way. Um, they're, they're they're talented players, but don't get me wrong. There's no elite player on that on that roster on offense, and so you know, dropping off from a 100% cam or even like a 90% cam to you know Derek Anderson, who either he's going to be good or he's going to be really really bad, which is why he's not a starter in the league anymore. Um, you know, this was this, this is just a team that is is barely alive at this point, absolutely barely. Uh, alive because you got Atlanta doing fantastic. Their offense looks so rejuvenated and, and they come out hitting full stride right away. So, you know, I, I don't think Carolina has any time left. They've got to get on a hot streak ASAP. If they don't, we may get to the midpoint of the year and their season's already over. Yeah, real crazy to think for, you know, defending. NFC champions. Uh, let's switch over quick too. I want to talk about college because there was definitely a lot of interesting things there as well. Uh, definitely something that really stood out was the craziness that was the Tennessee Texas A&M double overtime game, uh, particularly the end of regulation. I mean, you know, A&M has the ball late in the game. They look like they're going to run the clock out, win the game. Running back breaks free. It looks like he's going to run all the way for a touchdown. But, uh, you know, tremendous play by the Tennessee corner to knock the ball out. And the ball, of course, then went through the end zone for a touchback. And then, of course, all of Twitter came out and said, you know, this is the worst rule in football, the touchback. Or the fumble through the end zone is a touchback. But uh, sure enough, you know, Tennessee got the ball back, drove the field, tied the game, and it was a Tennessee, we thought that Tennessee magic was staying alive, but eventually we found out that the magic had run out as A&M scored in the second overtime and then picked off Dobbs on the very next play. So A&M got the win, 45-38. Whew, that was a fun game to watch, though, at the end. It really was. Yeah, it was. You know, and it was it was funny. I actually went out to dinner um, with a couple of my friends, and uh, it was just like a sports bar type place. And the table next to us, going to give you guys out there a little bit of uh, advice here, relationship advice. Now, this was the man's. It was a man and his wife. Is an Aggie fan uh, with his wife, and his wife couldn't care less <laughs> at all about the football game. And so, you know. As far as, you know, when, you, when you're in that type of env- environment, gents, it's a big game. 
Obviously, Tennessee storming back into it. Awesome comeback. Um, Jalen Hurd getting all the way, you know, making that huge play um, to send that game into overtime. Just awesome, awesome. But um, don't be that guy in a restaurant that's, like, clapping and, like, kind of being a little loud. When it's it's not like a true sports bar, like it's not B-dubs, it's not Buffalo Wild Wings, it's a little bit nicer than that. And your wife has no interest in it, so she's just like looking at her phone and like looking the other direction and, you know, kind of looking like, you know, I, I really wish I wasn't here right now. Don't put your ladies in that situation. Just don't be that guy, alright? That's... That's my only advice to you guys as a recently married man myself. I would never do that to my wife. She wanted nothing to do with it. So um, that's my big takeaway from that game. <laughs> Other than Texas A&M is, is definitely legit. They've got a bunch of prospects on that team that will be good NFL starters, I think. Um, Trevor Knight resurfacing. As a, as a starting quarterback elsewhere, he hasn't been good, but I mean he's been he's been fun and, and he's been able to obviously help drive that team to a winning record. So he's been good enough as a college quarterback, and so um, you know they've got a very talented running back as well, a couple good receivers. I like Kevin Sumlin a lot. I'm really happy to see him having success after the last couple of years, kind of kind of struggling a little bit. And um, you know it, it's going to be fun to see. Uh, uh, you know, how far they can push this. They may be the second best team. I mean, I think it's, to me, it's kind of clear, but they may be the best or second, probably more likely the second best team in the Big 12, in the, um, sorry, in the SEC. So, you know, I'm interested to see, can they continue to keep it up? Because they've been skirting by the last couple of weeks against some good teams. So, um, heck of a win for them, especially at home. Awesome game to watch as someone with nothing, uh, on the line in the program. And uh, in just over a week, October 22nd, it'll be Alabama against Texas A&M. So uh, playoffs could be on the line in that one. And uh, I know I'm going to disappoint you by saying this, but speaking of playoffs, unfortunately, Houston's Popes have uh, seemingly come to an end. But they're still in the running for a New Year's Six Bowl for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean that that was a, that was a shocking loss, and props to Navy. Um, it's really hard to to rep for or to practice for, you know, that triple option, and those guys constantly, uh, they just plug and play guys, and the execution is high, at a high level every week, and you know the discipline. Is, is in a literal sense, they don't hurt themselves. They put you in the position where you've got to execute at a reasonably high level on both sides of the ball. And the uh, Houston was not covering the outside pitch man. They were taking care of the fullback. They took care of the quarterback fairly well. Um, but they did not take care of the pitch man. And that is deadly. I mean, it's, it's not easy to do, obviously. A lot of teams fail in this. But... You know, it, it was really disappointing. You know, they're missing their, their starting linebacker, their leading tackler, and I think that was a big part of it. But um, Tom Herman, this is if they don't get into the Big 12, this is his exit strategy, right? Right there, that's his excuse to leave for the SEC or for USC. Losing that game opened up doors for him. I don't think he would have left Houston undefeated going into the playoff. However, if they don't get into the Big 12, I think there's a chance. So I hope Tom Harmon stays. I think he's a great coach. It was one of those games that, hey, you put up 44 or something like that, and, and you still lost. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a tough one. But, um, you know, that, that's backbreaking in terms of the playoff push. There's That's over. It's done with. And now they're two games back from Navy in the conference. Um, in their division in the conference. So they need Navy now to lose two games for them to even reach the conference championship. So they could end up playing in the Florida Tax Slayer Bowl as opposed to even being a New Year's 16. So, 
you know, it could be, that could have been a really big loss for the, for the program. So I'm not saying I'm rooting against Navy, but I'm certainly what not going to be sad if Navy loses <laughs> for selfish reasons. So nothing against Navy. I love them. I've got, you know, my best friends in the Navy, my, um, or my groomsman was in, is in the Navy. So I obviously have nothing negative to say about the Naval Academy, but from a football standpoint, I hope you guys lose twice. <laughs> I will say this though too. Um, the group of five has really gotten interesting as far as like which team is going to get that, uh, New Year's six spot. And one of the teams that has now cracked the top 25 that you know, and I always like seeing new teams and, you know, teams you're not used to seeing in the polls. It's always fun to see them in there. Western Michigan cracking the top 25 this week. So that that's interesting to see. Um, and certainly they're in the running now for that New Year's Six spot. You know, Boise State's right there. Um, Boise's the one that caught my eye because it, it seems like it's been a little while since they made some noise. Mm-hmm. And, and very quietly they're 5-0. and and, you know, looking at some of the teams in front of them, Florida State has two losses. Mississippi, Ole Miss has two losses. Um, Nebraska surprisingly 5-0, and top 10, 10 overall. You know, I wouldn't, don't be surprised if Boise State creeps their way into the top 10. And this is after losing Chris Peterson to Washington. Yep. Who, oh, by the way, just put up 70 on Oregon. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I mean, I think, it's going to be hard because the Big Ten is brutal because they might just all beat up on each other. Um, Ohio State and Wisconsin obviously is the big game this week. Um, I think Ohio State wins that game, but it would probably be a close game as well. But you know, that would knock off Wisconsin out of the race and make them 4-2, uh, which is weird that they're number eight. You know, They're 4-1. and one. Their big win is against LSU, who stinks. But that's um, <laughs> kind of strange, but... Hey, I'll take it. It's a lot of luster very quickly. It did, it did. But hey, it'll look good for the Buckeyes if they win this week. So, um, but yeah, I mean, don't be surprised. Like if, if Boise State, if, if the Big Ten kind of cannibalizes itself and Ohio State, Michigan, and Wisconsin all beat up on each other, um, you know, you could see the ACC, if Louisville loses to Houston, um, you know, that would be a big hit. And then, you know, Alabama and Texas A&M, Obviously, one of those teams is going to lose. So this this is a this is a situation. It's exciting to see Washington and and Texas A and M this high because they're programs that we're not really used to seeing historically um, in the recent history, I should say. Even though Texas A and M did climb the charts there for a little bit a couple of years ago, we're not used to seeing these two teams this high on the polls. Even if it's like long term historically, they have been powerhouses in their own right. So it's kind of fun to see some of these big names back up here. And then you've got a couple of, uh, you know, like I said, Nebraska, the, the long, you know, powerhouse in a long time ago. Um, really the top 20, top 23 teams. And then you've got Western Michigan and Navy are all teams with good track records. So it's, it's a very interesting time right now in college football. Absolutely. Uh, and then quick, we'll go ahead and run through week six of the NFL. Um, Big game, Atlanta, Seattle. You know, obviously Atlanta playing their way. Has obviously played well this season, so they've helped make this a big game. Dallas plays Green Bay. And, uh, you know, it, it's tough when they make the schedule so many months in advance, but sometimes you wind up with teams not performing as well as you thought, and it makes some of the primetime games kind of stink. Well, Colts Texans is the Sunday night game. Jets Cardinals is the Monday night game. So didn't exactly work out there, but uh, overall not a, not a bad week. KC Oakland should be a good game at 4:05, and you've also got Tom Brady's first home game of the season, first game in Foxborough since the suspension, as they take on the Bengals. Uh, and your Dolphins hosting the Steelers and the Eagles at Washington this week. So it's good matchups this week. What are you looking forward to out of the week? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the Buckeye game, that's going to be the big one against Wisconsin. Yep. Um, who wins the battle in the trenches uh, this week is going to be fascinating. Wisconsin has a great defensive front seven, and I think that that's going to be – if J.C. Barrett can throw more effectively than he did last week, where he really struggled against Indiana, I think Ohio State's going to be able to win. My concern is that if he struggles, because he struggled badly last week, and that was a big reason why Indiana could hold throughout that game and, and keep that a close game. So that's definitely something to watch. I'm also going to be checking out Texas Tech and West Virginia. Um, shout out to my buddy who um, is a West Virginia, huge West Virginia fan. Um, you know, he I, I know he'll be watching in this one. He's telling me about this West Virginia team. He's been telling me to watch them. They're uh, they're undefeated. They're 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 number twenty in the in the country. So I want to see them against Texas Tech. Patrick Mahomes might be the next Derek Carr. Um, actually going to be charting him here tonight after Brad Kaya. And so I'm excited to see him. He throws the ball like 60 sometimes a game, so it's a little bit ridiculous. But he's really fun to watch. So that's that's definitely a big game. Uh, also, obviously, Bama, Tennessee. Really enough said there. That That's a huge game. North Carolina, Miami. Another big ACC game this week. Uh, Miami coming off that close loss. What a heartbreaking loss for their program. But they proved that they're, they're back as like a, a serious team uh, with Mark Richt, even with a fairly average quarterback and Brad Kaya. I'm really interested to seeing Kaya again this week. Also interested in Mitch Trubisky, who's been getting a lot of hype from the draft community lately. Uh, really young quarterback still in terms of starts, but you, you can see the raw tools. Like he's at least a day two guy um, in the NFL draft just based off of his tools. Um, so that'll be interesting uh, to watch for that game. Uh, probably favorite unranked match of the week. Um, we're going to have some good Pac-12 games. Uh, Stanford and Notre Dame. Uh, some, you know, these teams were top 10 teams before the season. They're unranked at this point. 6.30 Eastern time, 7.30 uh, Eastern, 6.30 Central. Um, these two teams are going to be going at it, and I can't wait to see this game. I'm excited to see Deshaun Kaiser. Last week, they lost a tough game in the horrible rain conditions. Brian Kelly just kept trying to throw the ball, and neither team could throw the ball effectively. They should have ran the ball. They probably would have won if they had run the ball effectively. Instead, they tried to throw it like 30 times, and it didn't work. So can Notre Dame pull this game out? Because let's face it, Brian Kelly is in the midst of a horrible season. They got to get some W's, and losing to Stanford after their what like two and four start, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if he, I don't know if he could survive the series, the season, if uh, if he loses another uh, you know, series of games, like you know, starting with Stanford. Well, not really starting with Stanford, starting with Pitt, um, but not Pitt. Um, shoot, the name escapes me now. Um, who they played last week. Oh, NC State. NC State, yeah, thank you. Um, NC State. So, starting with NC State, they lose that one, man. It's, it's, they could be on a quick downhill, uh, drive. Yeah, and like you said, it's really surprising just the fact that these two teams are playing each other and neither team are ranked after they started so high, but, you know, still a great rivalry to watch. So, you know, overall should be, Another interesting week of football. And I think with that, we'll uh, kind of wrap things up here. And like I said, it's, it's crazy, to be, crazy to believe already that this has been, this was our 50th episode together, man. It's been a, it's been a blast these first 50. You know, really enjoy, I always enjoy, you know, talking shop with you and it's been a lot of fun, I think. These first 50 episodes have been great. We've obviously had a lot of great guests, and I think going forward we're just going to continue to do big things and you know just keep the show rolling and continue to have a good time. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, you know we know we're aware that we had some technical difficulties the first couple weeks. Uh, I appreciate you guys letting us know. Um, if there's anything, you know, any other feedback, if anything else goes wrong technically, just let us know. We'll, we'll uh, you know, took Bill. You know, like 20 minutes to get figured out. <laughs> so props to him for taking care of that. Appreciate you, uh, you doing that for us. And, um, 
you know, doing all the back end work on the show. And so, um, you definitely make it a good show. So, you know, looking forward to, to another 50 and, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep plugging away. Make sure your folks are still sharing the show. Uh, we usually get the episodes out, you know, within, you know, by Friday or so, uh, of the week and, and make sure you're sharing it, um, Facebook, Twitter, however else you're listening. So, um, appreciate you guys listening and, and Bill appreciate you as always, man. Yeah, no doubt, man. It's been a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, again, apologies for the uh, the issues with iTunes and that, but we, we got them fixed, and we should be good to go from here on out. Um, so, yeah, with that, I guess uh, we'll wrap it up here. It's been a lot of fun. Remember to follow us on Twitter. Like Ian said, give us some feedback. Let us know how much you enjoy the show, how much you don't enjoy the show, whatever. <laughs> Ian's at NFL Film Study. I'm at Bill underscore Rossetti. And uh, thanks, as always, for listening. We really appreciate it. And again, thanks, Ian, for always being a great co-host here on the show. And like you said, look forward to another 50 episodes and then some. Uh, so with that, thanks for listening. We'll see you uh, next week right here on GG. Take care, my friends. <laughs>